Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton and Allison Giddens here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's episode. Allison, how you doing? I am good. Well, and you're also succinct today. <laughs> we, we got a great, great episode lined up, ready to go. And I'm excited about it. How about you? I am. I am. I'm totally pumped because this person is one of my dearest friends in the Cobb Chamber environment and my uh, one of the people that I have looked up to for a while. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I really got to know her, like actually personally. And she's a rock star. So I'm excited. Well, we are too. Appreciate your facilitation as always. Always, always a pleasure hosting these conversations with you. Now, today, as you've kind of let on, we're going to be chatting with a global supply chain leader that has helped an iconic brand leverage the best in technology, hardware, production, and a sense of community to help folks around the world improve their health and fitness and have a heck of a time doing it. So on that note, let me introduce our guest. You ready, Allison? Let's do this. Okay. We had to work hard, had to go through agents to guest uh, book today. Our featured guest brings more than 15 years of successful experience in retail e-commerce supply chain operations to the table. She's been featured on Atlanta Business Journal's 40 Under 40 program, as well as Georgia Tech's first 40 Under 40 program. Our guest has wowed audiences at respected organizations such as the Wall Street Journal and the Harvard Business School. She's also a member of the Leadership Atlanta class of 2020, and all of that is just scraping the tip of the iceberg. Let's welcome in Jennifer McKeon. Head of Global Supply Chain with Peloton. Jennifer, how you doing? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing wonderful. You know, Allison, I just realized I did not ask Jennifer on the front end if, I'm, if I pronounce her last name right. Do we get it? You're spot on. Okay. You got it. All right. You know, growing up for me, every first day of school, it was Mr. Lutton, Mr. Lutton, and it's always uh, Luton. It's like Luton, England, England, rather. But great to have you, Jennifer. As busy as you are, appreciate you spending some time with us. No, oh, I'm excited to spend the time today. Thanks. Well, I tell you, Allison, you had some some uh, uh, wonderful words on the front end. So I look forward to kind of learning more about that. But where are we starting with Jennifer here today? Well, I know a little bit here and there about Jennifer, maybe some of the stuff she doesn't want me to bring up. But I would say we start with kind of getting the basics. Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Where'd you grow up? How, tell us about your upbringing, things like that. Yeah, I'll keep you busy so you don't tell any of those secret stories, Allison. I I actually am a rare native of the Atlanta area. I grew up uh, about an hour northeast in uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia. Went to Central Winter High School, go Knights. I was a proud member of the marching band, both there and then as I continued to Georgia Tech. And so I never thought I would grow up to be a retailer supply chain junkie. Uh, my first job was at the library shelving books, which is very hard to believe that I okay. chose a job without talking, knowing what I am like now. Um, oh, was that your first job out of the library? I don't believe that. Nope. It was a long two and a half hour shift. It was, it was. <laughs> And then um, I transitioned to a more glorious role as the breadstick girl at Fazoli's, which is Italian food fast, not to be confused with fast food Italian. So uh, just a tremendous, grew up with very hardworking parents that taught me the value of 
perseverance, hard work, and really just um, sticking to your gut and finding what you're passionate about in life. That led me to Georgia Tech, which I just, I was the first person in my family to really go to a big four-year university. And so just to think that I was sort of lucky to fall into just an incredible institution that I tell people really changed the trajectory of my life, my sort of understanding and view of the world, and then sort of my career following that. So just proud to be an Atlanta Atlanta native. I still can hear the whistle at Georgia Tech for any other Georgia Tech folks, like gives you a little PTSD sometimes, but it's fun to, to be local and be close. So. What'd you major in at Georgia Tech? Industrial engineering. It's, you know, it's the imaginary engineering for the mechanical folks out there, but I, you know, it still counts. I'm a hell of an engineer. <laughs> A lot of folks may not know that Georgia Tech is the largest industrial engineering school in the country. And it's at least as of a couple of years ago, it was more than twice the size of the second largest, which I think was either Michigan or Michigan State. Does that sound about right? That sounds right, Scott. It's also the number one public program in the U.S. Wow. Okay. Thanks for letting me brag on that while we're here. (laughs) Well, that means something because he's a Clemson guy. uh, This is true. This is true. Clemson fans are very nice, I will say. That is like, you know, also good engineers, but very just kind. Well, that is good to know. And I appreciate you sharing that. You know, years and years of uh, toiling through the desert of of football mediocrity under a previous program, which I will not mention, and then getting spoiled the last five or six years. It, it, it's easier to be kind, right? It's easier to be kind. But I'll tell you, uh, Georgia Tech um, has continued to churn out a ton of business leaders that have impacted business. And, you know, uh, it's really cool. We're going to touch on this in a second. What you're doing now, which has been uh, a business that has just blown up overnight, especially the last couple of years, been been in demand. Uh, so we're going to touch on how that has uh, perhaps thrown some curveballs your way that uh, you've then proceeded to hit out of the park. But before we talk about all that, and before we talk about your professional journey, Allison, we were talking pre-show with Jennifer about, you know, what it's like to grow up uh, in the Atlanta area, the metro Atlanta area, and you grew up in, in Lawrenceville. Uh, you touched on some of those things from from uh, jobs to hardworking parents to some of the first you broke through. What else when it comes to food or music about growing up in the metro Atlanta area? What were some of your highlights uh, earlier as a kid? Yeah, well, we were we were talking some of our early highlights. I think they've all closed now. For so for some old old school folks like um, Mazio's Pizza and uh, Fazoli's was probably ninety percent of my diet because it was free. And then here at Georgia Tech, you know, in Midtown, Rocky Mountain Pizza is just a staple right there off of 10th Street um, and a you know special place with lots of good memories. And if you haven't had the Stromboli, you really have not lived. So I would suggest that to all folks. Love that. Rocky That's Mountain right. Pizza. Put it on the list. That's right. Well, you know, one of my simple pleasures in life uh, it, here in Atlanta and, and just, you know, basically on campus at Georgia Tech is eating at the varsity, but all, but either eat two two places. I love the um, kind of the backside where it's got the window wrap wrap around windows, and you can kind of see you know all around the city, or just uh, parking on top of the deck, right, and grabbing a burger with with one of our kids, and and even just watching all the people watching, people in traffic watching, perhaps while you're getting great great views of the city. Uh, the varsity is certainly an uh, incredible legend. Okay, so. Allison and Jennifer, we've kind of talked. We, we've kind of talked about your roots and kind of where you come from, and matriculating through Georgia Tech. Let's talk about your professional journey from then 
prior to your current role with Peloton, which we're going to talk about in a moment, talk, tell us about a couple other key positions that really shaped your worldview, Jennifer. Sure. Well, um, I'm so lucky that I really uh, grew up and cut my teeth at the Home Depot, which is one of the um, best in class companies you could ever work for, and certainly one of the best in class supply chains to learn from. I started there as an intern there and thought that was going to be my two year plan. Right. And I would go on to, you know, um, go back to grad school or do something else. And 15 years later, I had um, gotten married, had a bunch of kids, and was still having a great time. So um, within Home Depot, though, I think the magic of you know, some places you go to work is you can have lots of careers in one building. I, and I was afforded that opportunity when I was there. Um, some of my, what I would call in hindsight, favorite roles, they might not have been at the time, but I was the manager of field reporting, which basically meant this was when Excel only had 65,000 rows. So I was like the, the Excel jockey to report to 2000 retail stores at the time. And at the time I thought, did I go to school for this? Uh, but what I learned in that job that I think was so instrumental to really some of the future of my career, both there and now at Peloton, is that you know what you measure in metrics is what drives the business and what matters. And so I had this unique opportunity to learn around all the reporting and all of the metrics and what's important, what's causation and correlation. And so from that, I got to learn a little bit about everybody's part of the business. And that in some ways became one of my superpowers of not always necessarily going super deep, but being able to understand just a little bit about everybody's seat on the bus that you could help pull together into end decisions and into end programs. And so I never thought that being the manager of reporting, e.g. Excel at the time would be such a fruitful um, foundation for learning, but it was just a really tremendous opportunity. Uh, and then I can would I, say- Can my, I butt in really quick? Yeah, yeah. You know. What does Excel not do in, in this modern era, right? It can, it can just about make sandwiches for the kids, right? Yeah. But but before you move forward, Allison, I love based on what Jennifer just shared there and how impactful that um, metrics and um, and better yet, interpreting metrics, right? Uh, interpreting what the true signals are versus the whole rest of the tidal wave of data. What do you hear Jennifer say there that that you can relate to? For sure, about the the what you measure is what that what, what's value. You don't. I mean, they, we hear all all the time about KPIs in business and you know goals and things like that. But it's really, if you think about it, if a business is telling you two numbers on what what the numbers are or how close they are to goals, it's the whole purpose of that goal that ultimately you probably track back to the value statement, mm, the mission well statement, and you mentioned Jennifer correlation and causation. I go straight back to my Lean Six Sigma days. Correlation does not, it may imply causation, but it does not guarantee causation. I can't remember exactly how we used to put that, but you're, you're nodding your head. Does that resonate with you? Like It's like riding a bike, Scott. Spot on. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. So you were about to share uh, another impactful role previously in your career. Please, please share. Yeah, well, I would say just the opportunity to really work front lines with retail stores where you really understand the value of the folks doing the work day in and day out and making sure as you think about managing the business, architecting solutions, and really, you know, you can dream up a lot of great plans, but standing there and unloading the truck with an associate that can do it 10 times faster than you can, or, you know, putting product on a shelf and really understanding what that looks like in the life of a day-to-day associate, like that's such an integral part of Home Depot's culture. I'm very lucky it's such an integral part of Peloton's culture in terms of a members first and a team members first 
perspective that like that just becomes part of your DNA. And I I was super blessed to have that sort of exposure and lesson early because it just really helps your process map and how you think about things because you start with the end user and work backwards. And I think, you know, not every big corporation has that type of culture, um, but you go slow to go fast and make sure that when we, when you do something, you can consistently and flawlessly execute it. And that all starts with that person doing the actual job on the front line. And so mm. just the really appreciation for that, I think young in my career was just a really good lesson and something that hopefully I've carried carried on. I love that. I mean, going back to the kindness factor that we were kind of joking around a minute ago, you know, uh, blessed are those that are kind to all retail associates, right? Um, yes. hopefully, hopefully we <laughs> I think that was, that's a forgotten be, uh, verse from the Beatitudes, perhaps. But, you know, there should be a rule that in order to graduate college or trade school or anywhere else, you you have to either have I'm worked in food service 100%, or retail. 100%. Um, but what, a um, Jennifer, what you're sharing there, how that was cultural to the Home Depot and how that's been carried over with Peloton, that is a beautiful thing. Um, and speaking of Home Depot, I mean, Talk about innovation. Of course, that's been also a hot, um, hot, uh, hot sector in the last couple of years. And we've seen them. One of the things they've done uh, is go out and and kind of put their shipping in their own hands and charter a container vessel. Right. I'm really looking forward to kind of learning more how that works out. But uh, interesting times here. Interesting times. So, are you good with moving forward to your current role now? And and kind of so, folks, folks make all kinds of assumptions when we hear titles and and. I'd love for you to kind of explain what you do now, where you spend some of your kind of week in and week out time there at Peloton. Sure. Um, well, Peloton is just a magical place. Um, as you know, I think anyone who's a member of our community can feel that sort of just community driven, positive, um, and just passion for sort of that kindness and inclusion of each other. And I would tell you as a member before I came to Peloton, that's how I felt. And I would, and you know, you always wonder, is it going to feel the same on the inside? And it does. Mm. It is. Um, my husband tells me he's never seen me like smile so much seven days, even when you're working more than you want, because it's still fun. And so, so um, just to understand there, Jennifer, you were a customer of Peloton before you joined the team. I was, I was. Wow. Okay. I, um, yeah. You, you got to find stress relief from your supply chain gig somehow. <laughs> and so it was, you know, getting on a bike for 30 minutes and like rocking out to Whitney Houston. And so I was an early adopter in uh, January of 2020 before things got a little nuts. And right. so I was, and that's not even really that early in, ter in terms of Peloton time, but yes. Yeah, so I had a Peloton bike and now have a, also a Peloton tread, but back to what I'm doing here, you know, part of the fun of Peloton is that if you think about, you know, you're in startup growth mode, which is sort of a roller coaster of its own, like that's really exciting. Then you add, you know, I, I tell people that's like a Super Bowl, like that's a big deal. Right. And you add COVID uh, and just the excitement that that drove for the opportunity and the brand and the construct of what Peloton can provide. And then you add just the global supply chain challenges that everyone is facing. I tell, you know, it's like Peloton went from having the Super Bowl to like the World Cup. Like this is a once every four year kind of deal. Right. And so this is just an like an amazingly exciting and fun time to be in supply chain at Peloton because we're playing our World Cup. 
and we have some of the best people in the seat to do it. And so, and what's think, life without challenges, right? What's uh, boring is 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 boring. Just that boring. That's right. You know, it's supply chain uh, professionals and leaders. Our, our job is to tackle the curveballs. We expect them. We're not we're not sure what they may look like or how how big of a curveball you know major league record curveball versus some of the smaller ones but it does make for a very uh, eventful and fun profession right that's true i you know i spent a lot of my time life in inventory and i tell people the day you finally decide it's okay to be wrong because you're always going to be over or you're always going to be under <laughs> like you're going to live a better life right and <laughs> the supply chain's kind of like that it's like as long as you only got three problems today like good good deal like high fives and go home so <laughs> You know, Peloton is a really interesting place in the sense that we are so incredibly vertically integrated. So, you know, at a at an organizational level, we have we own our music, we own, you know, the content, we own the hardware, we own the supply chain. And so within the supply chain, they're uniquely vertically integrated as well as part of their growth, part of our growth journey in the past few years, where we own the factories that manufacture our bikes and treads today, all the way to we own the, the final mile vans that deliver into our members' home and, um, and have that interaction and engagement. And so there's so many pieces and parts that you can um, pin together to just provide this seamless experience. But that means there's also a lot of places and a lot of handoffs that you've got to make sure you're doing a great job and communicating and coordinating and planning the right way. Mm. And so as part of our growth journey, really, my myself and our just amazing team came in to help be the connector of those dots. There's phenomenal things happening with our manufacturing partners in the finished goods supply chain with our final mile delivery partners. Right. How do we make sure we're thinking about those end to end? Because now our definition of end to end is so much wider sure. than what it would have been. How are we thinking about that collectively to give the best member experience that we can? Mm. And so I spend a lot of time with pri primarily the finished goods supply chain, sort of reaching back into manufacturing and forward into our final mile teams to really see where we can continue to put members first. That's sort of our North Star and calling card day in and day out. But then really from a supply chain perspective, how can we build and scale our sustainable supply chain while we're like, moving the boats and, and the trucks and the trains. Right. And so, you know, I could not count on two hands how many times during my interview process, folks said, we're flying the plane, you know, we're building the plane while we're flying it. <laughs> and that is so true. Like it is actually incredible work of the team to deliver what they deliver every day and make sure that we're, you know, providing the member experience, but also making sure that we're set up for tomorrow and next year and five years from now in terms of the growth that we intend to see. And so um, a lot of my job is really identifying where we need to, to um, set that foundation for the scale and sustainability we want. And obviously some of that comes in systems, digitizing our supply chain is a key part of that. Right. How do we really understand what's happening in each of those nodes? In some ways we are lucky that we're vertically integrated because we can see some of those pieces and parts so that we can automate decisions, make them faster, and then understand the implications faster so that when something happens upstream, we know nine, 10, 12 weeks ahead, not you know yesterday, right. tomorrow, or this week. So. Um, so a couple of quick things on what you've shared. You've shared so much. Uh, we're just going to book five more hours, if that's okay, Jennifer. Uh, it is fascinating. So it was first, shocking. I worked at the library. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> so first off, 
Peloton, Allison, is a magical place. Did you hear that on the front end uh, a little while ago? Secondly, clearly, as, as Jennifer's referenced numerous times, that membership or that member experience, MX, right? MX is it's the latest um, acronym in supply chain, perhaps. And then thirdly, that building the plane, flying the plane while we build it, right? Yeah, that's one of my favorite expressions too, Jennifer. I would argue to some extent, Jennifer and Allison, that that's a little bit of what supply chain is, right? We've got to, uh, the industry has to deliver and, and take care of, of consumers on the other, other side, take care of suppliers, uh, process returns here in the last 10 years or so, you name it, all that stuff that has to take place while these days solving some of the biggest challenges of our time, right? And, and, and the supply chain profession in many ways is best poised to do just that. And it may sound dramatic, but that's, that, that's, uh, that's at least how I see it. Jennifer, is that how you see it? Yeah, I think that's a great point. It is supply chain these days. We have to continue to drive optimization and innovation while making sure you're still delivering day in and day out right. and balancing that for the teams. Like, that's a great point. Yeah. And Alice, any, uh, before we continue, because we're, we're kind of unpacking what Jennifer does at Peloton and what she's described already, I'm convinced she has to have several clones. Otherwise she gets no sleep at night, but, but she has an incredible team too. But Allison, what else would you add kind of as we take this pause before we move forward, Jennifer. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing uh, there's some some familiar themes here, uh, especially what she was talking about earlier with Home Depot and unloading things from the back of the truck with associates all the way up to, you know, I'm sure her interview process with Peloton and, and hearing from the very people she was going to work with. It's, to me, it's a matter of your your group your your work community is only as good as the individuals that make it up so it really is along the supply chain from from your your basic of basic manufacturer to the person that drives that van to bring the peloton to the customer's house i mean it's it's quality and experience and it's all kind of intermingled i love that allison and where is the host of that 90s or maybe early 2000s show when we need the weakest link where is she yeah, when we yeah. this is when we need her right we need right. when you bring her right. in well, it's, it's the british accent right. that does it you it, uh, add, it adds the credibility right to we need, yeah, we, need absolutely. we need her on so many zoom calls you are the weakest link goodbye you know yep um okay so jennifer we kind of interrupted there you shared so much good things we got 15 pages of notes already and and it i tell you i can see where your husband says that he's never seen you happier because as you describe what you do and what your team does and what Peloton does, that magical place, clearly you love sharing with what, what you're doing and you love do, doing what you do. So your husband clearly is spot on. But what else would you, before we get into some of the, um, you know, what you can share about some of the unique challenges that Peloton has tackled here in recent years, what else would you add to what you do week in, week out? You know, I would say I spend the primary bulk of my time to, um, making sure that we've got the best talent in the best spots, because to your point, Scott, it is not me doing any of this. We have a tremendous team. And one of the things that makes me most excited and keeps me up at night all at the same time is that we are in such a talent war for great folks these days. I know Allison and I have talked about that before. And so that's why it's important to really find those that best talent because we've got a big job ahead of us and we want the best people to do it. But we also need to be the best place to work to, mm. to do that for folks and to attract the right talent. And so 
you know, I, I spend a lot of my time, not just on the mechanics, the team's much smarter than me at those things, um, but making sure that we're being able to attract our best and brightest because we've got a really exciting journey ahead. Wow. Okay. I, that reminds me, you know, sometimes I can get fixated on the work and the challenges and all the entails there. And in fact, one interview, one of our other favorites, uh, beyond Allison and Jennifer, Sandra McQuillan, who's now with Mondelez, uh, when she was leading Kimberly Clark's supply chain. We were meeting with her and her team, interviewing her, and I really got fixated on some of the big challenges they were tackling. And she got, and we had a point in interview where she goes, I promise you, Scott, we have fun. We have fun working together as a team, right? And it's such a, you know, to your last point there, Jennifer, about creating a great place to work. And, and because that's where we spend, you know, whether remotely or in person or some kind of hybrid, still, we spend a lot of time with the folks we work with. And it's got to be fulfilling and enjoyable to some degree. So I love how, I love how you describe that. And one quick question as a follow-up, what's one aspect of working at Peloton, whether it's on your team or in general, that you believe folks really appreciate about uh, working there? You know, I know it's going to sound like a broken record, but in some ways, when you get in a room, everyone has the same understanding of where our intentions and where our priorities lie and, and understanding that, I'm not wearing the name on the back of the jersey. I'm wearing the name on the front, mm. which is how are we Peloton and how are we putting our members and our community first? And that makes really hard decisions real easy. And because um, there's just not a lot of ego and a lot of, you know, I mean, there's always like functional silos because that's just a natural part of an organization. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just really almost heartwarming that not every hard conversation has to be contentious or has to be, you know, like behind closed doors. Like it's just a, Hey, like we've got something, we got to figure it out. But because everyone sort of has that really clear vision of where we need to go and what is important to us, the decisions come naturally. And it's just, it makes, it makes it, it makes the hard things fun. I love that. Uh, it's refreshing to hear that. Um, and I believe you, Jennifer, we, we've heard versions of that with a wide range of leaders, but uh, I can, I can see in your passion and your authenticity that that's, that's what it's like fighting through these times we're living in and what business leaders have to do. So on that note, before I turn it back over to Allison and, and we, we kind of move into advisory mode with Jennifer, let's, let's talk about what you can uh, address when it comes to some of the unique challenges that Peloton has encountered, but you know, we should, I think it's important prefacing here. The demand for Peloton's products, because of what you've described, are off the charts. And in this day and age, when a variety of toilet—I'm I mean, just going to say it—I got to when toilet paper was off the shelves. This, these very traditional industries that are tied to, from what I understand, to, to death rates is, is kind of the biggest thing they tie production to. They had a hard time, you know, getting through some of the curveballs that came at them. So that's that's a, that's an important point here as we kind of level set, but speak to some of the unique challenges that Peloton had and, and, and what y'all did about it. Sure. Well, I think, you know, as most folks know, right at the height of our demand and our demand is still growing past that, but sort of last summer when the global capacity was constrained, that was right when we needed the most Right. and, you know, headed into holiday. And, you know, part of that challenge, as I talked about being vertically integrated, it is 
both a blessing and a curse. And some of that was because, you know, we didn't have those connective points between them to un to be able to connect the dots to the full story of where things were without just Herculean efforts mm. from the team that worked day and night, day in, day out, month in, month out, frankly, to pin those things together. But that certainly caused some wrinkles and some bumps along the way that you want to anticipate better. You know, like we, the port, you know, the port backup and the impact that specifically had to us was, was really well documented. It helped our conversations with the port folks, but, you know, you'd rather just not be in the news at all. Right. Um, you know, I think with don't ever let a good crisis go to waste. And so it was a great opportunity. You know, the leadership team invested a hundred million dollars in our supply chain to help us really close those gaps. Um, that let us accelerate and adjust our strategy to how we think about our end-to-end -end connected planning and how we can make sure that when we make a promise to a member, we keep it. We call that our first time on time. Like we want to be able to, you know, tell you if you want your um, biker tread on Friday that we're going to be there Friday at 8 a.m. So we've made those adjustments, I think, you know, to kind of think back what's, you know, almost a year now, right. we're now, our bike delivery is under two weeks and our tread delivery is under three weeks and coming down and wow. that's headed in, and that's headed into holiday. And so that just speaks to a tremendous amount of both the team and the change they were able to drive while still running the business and the value of the investment that the, that the leadership team had confidence in us to deliver. So overall, a positive impact, you know, there's, supply chain is never permanently fixed and we've still got a lot of opportunity and challenges we're working but you know just that promise is a really important part to us and so making sure that when we make a promise we keep it and that's really what our, we're focused on and all of the cool supply chain things that come with that you know digitizing the and data science and right. all the things like we're putting you know a yms a tms a plm and nes like we're doing all the things at one time by the way but it, at the end of the day, we, you know, we weren't able to always keep our member promise at the time. And that just is kind of what hurts your heart. And so that's where we really focus to go fix. I appreciate that, Jennifer. And as we all know, you were not alone. You had plenty and plenty of company uh, in the last 18 months or so. Hey, Allison, I'd love for you to pick up on something you heard there and, and, and share. And then I want to circle back on one of the things that Jennifer shared uh, and some recent conversations we've had. But Allison, what sticks out to you and what, what Jennifer shared uh, there? I think uh, it's funny that the supply chain challenges, yeah, you, you plug a hole in a in a ship and then another one springs loose over here. Oh, sure. And it's just about it's just about keeping afloat. That's all that that is. But it's also about mitigating the risk and being able to avoid the same problem from happening over here. So it sounds to me like, the, the challenges that Peloton encountered a year ago, they honed in, perfected it. That's not going to be a problem again. Now, the things that might pop up are unknowns, are things that are unknowns to everybody. So it's really cool to see when, when a company can do that and get everybody on the same page. Agreed. Agreed. So I want to circle back. You mentioned the ports and, you know, since, since then, in recent news, and of course, this will be published in a couple of weeks from the time we recorded it. But the world records in terms of the um, the uh, ships arriving on the West Coast ports and having the anchor, that's at an all-time high. We've seen the spillover. One of the workarounds that many organizations were doing was bringing traffic to East Coast, key East Coast ports. And, and earlier this week, I think we saw 25 ships in the, in, in the world-class port of Savannah, which I believe is also a record. 
And one of the things I picked up on as I saw Gene Soroka get interviewed, uh, who leads uh, one of the ports in California, I'm not sure which one, but he mentioned, he called something out. Our ports, as he put it, are several decades behind how other ports around the world operate, especially when it comes to visibility, uh, multi-party visibility, multi-party data sharing. And we don't have that here in the States. And in fact, of the variety of visibility platforms that can be utilized by ports, we're still in pilot phases in a couple of ports. And, and we, so we're, we're a little ways off from having it. And he really spoke about how that has not helped us uh, at a minimum uh, get through these times. So, you know, but it's just like that boat analogy, you know, it's, it's going to be one crisis after the next crisis, after the next curveball, after the following curveball to illustrate the, the constraints that we are our surface level and then bring other constraints and challenges to the surface level. It's the, only, it's, it's the nature of the game. Is that right, Jennifer? That's so true. And, you know, I never knew I'd appreciate the bullwhip effect as right. much as I do now because, you know, hey, let, let's take the cheaper, faster boat to the West Coast. Well, once you get there, if you can get off the port, there's no transportation to the East Coast because everyone else is doing the same thing. Right. And so you also sort of move the problem down the court. And how do you, and, you know, I think the fun of the next six to 12 months, because it's not, the problem's not going anywhere, is how do you anticipate like the second or third step so that before you're making that fast and cheap boat, I know I can book the transportation. I know I can, you know, get it in the warehouse. Right. Like how do you connect those things forward looking? And so I think that's really where the people that crack the nut on that are going to win. Excellent point. And, you know, if it's not, if it's not the ports, it's the railroads. I, I read that one, Railroad yard in Illinois had 25 miles of trains waiting to enter. 25 miles of trains. So, and if it's not railroads, it's something else. It's just the nature of of the beast that we're we're leading and fighting through. Okay, so Allison, uh, Jennifer, unless there's anything else you wanted to add, we want to pick your brain a little bit and offer our listeners some advice, right, Allison? Yes, we do. And I'm hearing a lot of certain qualities that it's important to be as a supply chain professional. So I think that if you were if you were addressing a room full of college students that want to break into the industry and eventually senior leadership like yourself, what advice would you give them? What kind of skills should they hone? Things like that. What, what would you say to those college students? Um, so many, so many good things to unpack there. I'd say three things. Uh, I would say, one, always raise your hand for the job that nobody else wants because it's such an opportunity to make a mark and make it your own and create, you know, a reputation and brand for yourself. And that's how I ended up the reporting of or the manager of reporting. And, um, you know, in hindsight, it was one of my best jobs. So raise the hand for the jobs that people aren't willing to take or something that just sounds too hard because you're probably smart enough to figure it out. I would say to find ways to be an athlete and particularly in the supply chain. So I think if you would have thought 10, 20 years ago, it would have been like, I'm going to be a transportation expert. I'm going to be a distribution expert. And I think now what I look for is someone who has done a blend of transportation inventory and distribution and someone who sat in an operator seat and maybe done like a project or an analyst seat. But, you know, how do you get particularly if you're young in your career, that's when you get to like screw things up and nobody's going to remember or care. Like that's the time to go try it and figure it out. Um, well, and so really quick, Jennifer, you know, yes. yeah. I, I want to make this connection for folks. That's a great analogy and great way of putting it because 
in football recruiting, you know, sometimes the top talent hasn't isn't already, you know, a quarterback or a wide receiver, or whatever. They're athletes and they can do a variety of things. They've got those types of experiences and talents. That is a great way of putting, I hate, I hate to use the word generalist because sometimes that doesn't imply enough talent, but I love yeah. that. Be an athlete, be a supply chain athlete. We got our Allison, we've got our podcast title, I think. All right. So Done. Jennifer, that was, I think, the second of three. What else would you? The last is like, if you're in supply chain, you can't take things too seriously. Like you got to like, you got to persevere and you got to roll with it, which I think if the last 12 months hasn't taught us any of that, then you're probably not cut out for supply chain because it just, if you take your, if you take it too seriously and you don't laugh to not cry every now and then you're just not going to survive. And like you spend too much time at work for it to not be fun. Right. So I would add three B there is kind of just, just riding those coattails is maintaining that healthy sense of humor. You know, that is so important. You're not taking ourselves too seriously. It, It doesn't mean less than professional ever, but you know, the ability to laugh, like you put it, you know, and, and I'll tell you, if you follow, uh, I'm gathering the impression if you follow Jennifer on social media, you might laugh a lot. But I know if you follow Allison on social, yes. you're going to have lots of moments uh, of levity and 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 being able to take a, a a fun detour from whatever challenge you're dealing with. Allison, I know you subscribe to that, but but this, maybe not. What what what's your take on her three things there? I really like that. I like the. I heard an analogy this week talking about we keep hearing about resiliency. And that that work that word over and over and over. And the speaker that I heard from took it a step further and said, "Let's talk about adaptability." So the speaker, mm-hmm. um, Ellen and Jenny, uh, with the Boulder the Boulder Company, um, and they they talked about taking the resiliency factor into adaptability. Because from what Jennifer is saying is, it's not just about being able to weather the storm or being able to tread water. It's about to okay, what's next? Okay, I'm ready. Uh, no matter what's coming at me, I know that I'm going to have to turn and answer it. it so, and, and I'm going to be okay with it. I'm going to be okay living in the gray area. Mm. And that's that's what it sounds like to me is as a young professional, if you're, if you're game for getting involved in supply chain, and God knows we need supply chain and manufacturing brains, is be willing to jump in feet first or head first, <laughs> knowing that you don't, you don't really know how deep the pool is. You know, it's, you know, it's at least 10 feet, but uh, it's going to get deeper too. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and, and sometimes you need to jump in feet first. If you're not sure about uh, the depth, right? Nah, go for it deep. Just, you know, just knowing that it's, it's at least deep enough for a dive. <laughs> All right. I love that. Uh, we, we could, uh, those are gr- three wonderful practical pieces of advice there, but Allison, we're not done picking Jennifer's brain, right? We are not. So I'm curious to know, because Jennifer always seems to be on top of this kind of stuff. What important development or trend or news story that you're tracking in global supply chain that maybe isn't really getting enough uh, buzz, or maybe it is, but you just want to highlight it some more, whether it's Peloton related or not, but what, what, what do you want to keep on our radars? Um, that's so interesting. I I would also just, as a side note, echo to also follow Allison on social media. It's like a daily brevity <laughs> lift. It's very nice. I'm with you. <laughs> but, you know, I think outside of people talent and really understanding where we can forecast global constraints, like let's not wait for the boat to get delayed to know that it's going to get delayed. 
You know, I think the teams are doing a ton of really exciting work in the data science world. And it's less about, you know, I think we used to think like, let's automate decisions for GNA or to have team efficiency. I'm like, okay, but this is really around like, how do you get really surgical with the information you have to manage the exceptions to like, you know, our holy grail is I want to know that in Allison zip code, I can get you a bike by Wednesday and in, and in Scott zip code, I can get it to you Wednesday night and just get really granular and good about the data quality and how we bring all that together to just give us some insights and deliver that value to the, your customer, your member. And I know that's a problem everyone's trying to solve, but I think I'm really um, having fun watching the folks that do it well. I think I would tell you, I think Home Depot is, you know, started a project five years ago that they called Project Sync. That was a, a start on the thread of the sweater for that. But, you know, as we think about toilet paper, like it's on constraints again, to Scott's point, like, you know, how to, <laughs> and there goes the rest right. if toilet paper is out. Um, <laughs> So I just really enjoy thinking like, not only like, how do you put all the data in one place? Like we're kind of past the data warehouse part, right. but how do you make it useful and insightful? And I think that is like the next five years. Like, how do we go do that and do it well? Very, man, a lot of good stuff there. A lot of good stuff there. So I'm trying to, th <laughs> we were talking a second ago about Allison and how she's a true humorist. And all, I, all that flashed through my brain was about, 57 different face jokes and observations. And I'm trying to figure out which of my favorite ones I want to, I want to mention that I bet Jennifer's seen too. I'm not sure that any are appropriate for <laughs> doing the same podcast. So, but, <laughs> okay. She's like your own version of Seinfeld. Yes. You know, that's kind of what it's like. Yeah. It's, it's like the local Seinfeld. Well, you know, I typically have to run all that by my husband. I have to say, he, he's the filter. I have to say, what if I say this? And he'll say, maybe don't use that adjective. I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, there's <laughs> the life, life, life feedback. Life yes, that, yeah. for, for those in corporate America, he is basically my standards and uh, practices. He's, he's my s and I have to run through. <laughs> I love that. And, and, and you get it honest though, because your mother, Donna, which we've collaborated with here, which we love her. She is a great, got a great sense of humor too. So, okay. Well, so we've digressed enough. We want to ask you one more question. I appreciate all the time you've given us here and to our listeners, most importantly, Jennifer. We're big leadership nerds around here. We study leadership all the time, right? And and uh, perhaps leadership has never been real leadership has never been more important. You know, deeds not words, right? In this era, we're we're we're, we're fighting through. So, what eureka moment when it comes to leadership or anything else uh, have you had recently that really you know you had to call time out and really think about it? Kind of an epiphany. What any any experiences come to mind? Yeah, you know, I don't. I hope other people feel like this, but I feel like COVID has brought the best out of the best leaders and potentially the not best part of the not best leaders right. because this virtual world requires you to actually in some ways be more relational and more personal as a leader than you needed to be when you were you know sort of in the office and i know that sounds odd because you hop in a meeting and hop out but i think it's given us a peek into everyone's you know, life a little bit about what really motivates them and incentivizes them and what's a value system to the, to that person. And so I would tell you my, my Eureka moment coming into Peloton is like those, I mean, 
to say that the teams were working hard is like there's not even words to put in like the years of like growth and like days, nights, weekends that that team had worked. And my eureka moment was that working harder was actually not the right answer for the bulk of the team. Mm. And that how and you know, you always kind of know that, but I think seeing it and seeing how it like impacted like where they're sitting in their personal space and then what that does to the being that they're way more productive team members and leaders if we can give them the space that they need be it in their work style like some of the folks want to come to the office like i have screaming toddlers like right. the thought of going to the office is like please like put me in a room with a desk that sounds wonderful <laughs> you know like but really understanding that like we're as leaders going forward we're going to need to better be able to customize what we provide and if we can do that, I think the efficiencies and value we'll see out of the team is an infinite. So like maybe some people need to work from home all the time. Some people want to be in the office five days a week. Some people need to like work 30 hours a week and they're the efficiency and effectiveness of folks working 50, frankly, right? because they're filling their tank and they're doing it in the right ways. And I think you wouldn't have seen that as much if you're just kind of in the hubbub of like normal office life, but seeing people in their natural habitats you see that come out faster and then you see the benefit of it as well. So I think really understanding how to get to that individual piece and not just having some corporate policy answer has been um, enlightening for me and has sort of changed how I would manage this going forward. Mm. Man, so much to think about what you shared. It's, it's made um, um, the, you know, being a leader, uh, formal or informal, even more challenging, right? Because we don't have those Unlike pre-pandemic, you can't pop. You can't always pop your head into someone's office and, and have a sit-down moment, or at, at the proverbial uh, water cooler or coffee maker, whatever. And and you know you also can't read body language, right? Because we're oftentimes we're kind of limited to this square and this rectangle, uh, and and what you see in just their face. I'll tell you, uh, I don't know about y'all, but but in our experience over the last you know year and a half of doing a lot of these remote interviews, you know, hundreds of interviews. There's times where we interviewed folks that were remote and you could see and feel the loneliness and the disconnectedness. Um, and really, you know, it won't, it, you know, makes you want to reach out and, you know, hug them and, and pull them right in. But it is a huge challenge for leadership. Um, Allison, that's enough of me blab, blathering on about what Jennifer shared. What about that eureka moment and that learning and observation sticks out to you? So I think it all comes down to, and I think the Georgia Tech people will get this on the call, it all comes down to the ISYE class. The industrial engineering classes and the, the encouragement of systems thinking, whether it's about people, whether it's about supply chain and materials and purchase parts and processes, everything is interconnected. And Jennifer alluded to this earlier when she talked about her experience with Home Depot and then into Peloton, is that knowing a little bit about a lot of stuff always helps. So whether you're that supply chain athlete, whether you're trying to grow in your own role, it, it helps you make better decisions. And by knowing how your team operates most efficiently, I think that that's vital. So that's that's the gasoline that's that's moving the car along. And yeah, like I said, I think it's a it's that ISYE class. It's that industrial engineering brain of of Jennifer's, I think, that uh I I, I get it now. I get it. I'm not sure I've connected those dots, Allison. So like, oh, yeah. I just had a good therapy lesson. That's very good. <laughs> Thank y'all. Uh, send us an invoice, That's Allison, right. please. 
Well, let's keep the gasoline going into the automobiles and not in the hands of the Braves bullpen. So uh, knock on wood there uh, as they kick off game one, at least when we're recording this, uh, the beginning of the playoffs have commenced. Jennifer, I tell you, I'm so glad. Yeah, keeping our fingers crossed there. I'm so glad Allison connected us. We had a chance over the last hour to sit down and uh, pick your brain on so much Peloton-related, non-Peloton-related. It's fascinating what y'all do, especially, again, with demand off the charts for your product, which is that in and of itself has to be pretty fulfilling as a business leader as part of that organization, huh? It's great. It's like the gas you need every morning. It also fills your inbox of things to do, but it's the gas you need every morning. <laughs> okay. Love that. All right. What a great kind of segue to wrapping up here with Jennifer McKeon with Peloton. So how, how can folks, if they want to uh, learn more about what you've been doing and certainly learn more about Peloton, how, where would you direct them? Sure. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn at slash Jennifer McKeon, and then um, would love for you to come visit us at onepeloton.com. Love it. Okay. Really appreciate your time here today, Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer McKeon, head of global supply chain with Peloton. Thanks so much. Thank you. I really appreciate the time today, guys. And good to see you, Allison. It was a blast, but don't go anywhere just yet. I'm going to put Allison on the spot, Jennifer. Are you ready? Do it. Okay. So Allison, first off, how can folks connect with you? LinkedIn is a great way to find me. I am Allison Giddens on LinkedIn. Yeah. Connect with me there and I promise I'll hopefully share some good stuff. All right. Now, now you've got to share some good stuff. I'm going to ask you your favorite succinct point or succinctly put maybe point that Jennifer shared here today. What's your favorite thing she shared? Ooh, my favorite thing besides the whole interconnected everything. I think number one is what you measure in a business matters to the business, whether it's the data, whether it's prioritizing people and everything in between. That's, that's the number one right there is you tell a lot about somebody by what it is they measure. I love it. I love it. And I agree with you. I also liked uh, one of my favorite things is, is how she takes it very seriously as a leader to ensure that the environment and the organization and the landscape of working at Peloton is second to none. And, and that's, that's uh, sounds like something that she really takes personal ownership on. That's we need more leaders doing that. Frankly, we need the leaders of the profession, the, of the global supply chain profession, taking that same responsibility, right? Cause we're going to need, we're going to need the top, the best of the best talent coming in to resolve the current challenges, but also where we're going. So uh, on behalf of our entire team here, thanks so much, Jennifer McKeon with Peloton, big thanks to Allison Giddens, of course, with WinTech Inc. Be sure you connect with both of these leaders. And again, if you like the you like a daily chuckle or maybe an hourly chuckle, that kind of depends on the week, maybe follow Allison uh, wherever uh, you get your social media from. On behalf of our entire team, Scott Luton signing off for now. A lot of good stuff. Hopefully you enjoyed the show as much as I have. Hey, find us at supplychainow.com or wherever you get your podcast from. Most importantly, Gosh, do good, give forward, be the change, be like Jennifer, and the world be a better place. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.